So then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus has told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. I mean, we could just, I think, sit here in quiet meditation for the next half an hour on that very last line. Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Whatever comes your way personally, whatever mess governments might get into, I am with you to the end of the age. What what an incredible line for Jesus to leave us with at that time. Well, I, I, I thought about this passage, because when, when Alona first invited me along to this evening, I, I remember asking her whether you followed a, a lectionary series or whether you were going through a sermon series, and when she told me that I was free to preach on whatever I, I, I felt led, I felt a bit stuck, and that total freedom, I was confused, I was like a rabbit caught in headlights. So I thought, should I jump to the, um, to the parables uh, there's the sideways stories of Jesus, uh, which I think are wild and wonderful and which I love exploring and wrestling with. Or should I go to some of our origin stories uh, in the Old Testament, which um, get us so rich with, with image and truth and love. And I thought maybe I'll go there. Or giving the freedom to choose any passage. Should, do I simply head to like a, a favourite book like Jonah or Romans? But in the end, I thought I'd... Um, I thought, if you're inviting me along, I'd bring my passion for, for stories and for seeking out the good news of the gospel in modern films. And I thought I'd try and combine that with a, a foundational Christian belief that we can really get our teeth stuck into this evening. The Holy Trinity. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Strap yourselves in. It could be a bumpy ride. But why not? Why not look at the Trinity? The American priest, Robert Capon, described all human attempts to explain the Trinity as like an oyster trying to describe a ballerina. Often uh, when we try to do it, we, we fall into one heresy or another. But I'm, I'm up for the challenge if you are. And so uh, we're going to begin with a sideways step. If this can come up, Tony. A film about superheroes. Now, is anyone a Marvel film fan here? It could just be me. Oh, you're DC. That's wonderful that you're DC because you and I can be an example of how, despite our differences, Christians can get along. But I will, I will look past, and if you don't know what we're talking about, different superhero universes, and we can get quite, well, I can certainly get quite geeky about this. But um, a, few, a few weeks ago, and don't worry, I'll only be speaking about this film for two minutes, so if, if you've got no idea what's going on, just look at the picture and, and I'll, I'll bring us back to the Bible in a second. But I was watching this film... Uh, a few weeks ago with uh, one of my godsons, re-watching it. Um, and it's called Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's a comic action film, which is a group of misfits uh, try to save the world from the forces of darkness, which can be a, a picture of the church, can't it? But the plot involves the, uh, the spaceship's captain, the guy called Peter Star-Lord, and he meets his father for the first time. Of course, this being a superhero film, it's not uh, a normal meeting. His father happens to be a a space god who can create planets and is called Ego. 
the Latin for I or for me. And early in the film, we meet this space god and he seems charming and generous, but as the story unfolds, we, we hear that his aim is to take after planet after planet to gain power over the universe so that all things will become him, essentially. So the universe's wonderful diversity of people and planets, God's creation would be turned monochrome. And anyone who didn't think or act like this guy, who aren't merely extensions of him, would be casually slaughtered along the way. Because in that film, the only thing that mattered was ego and his desire for control and power and self-glory. Well, sometimes I feel uh, the political landscape today isn't quite so different. A desire for control, power, and self-glory. Across much of the economically more developed world, the, the spectre of, of right-wing ways of thinking in, in which the community is seen as of little merit, where the individual, the ego, is king, and anyone who uh, thinks differently to those in charge is treated with suspicion and contempt. And on these very shores we've seen in the last few years a few terrorist atrocities uh, that have been the tragic outcome of those who believe in a, a God who is violent and power-hungry, or who derides difference, seeks expansion, and cares not for the lives that are lost along the way. But before we point fingers at the shadow sides of other religions, we might do well to remember the division and violence and conflict that have resulted from the church's attempts in the past to stamp out freedom of belief. Our family history is littered with crusades and inquisitions, with witch hunts against other people and even fellow Christians. And whilst a reformation of 500 years ago freed us from the binds of a corrupt religious system, it also led to torture and murder and other ungodly behaviour. It always shocks me to think that a few hundred years ago, other Christians would have called for my death because I chose to be baptised or rebaptized, as some see it, as an adult. How did we get to the point where the church, those whom Jesus prayed should love one another, should be one, would murder each other over differences of belief? That there is a, an image of... a. Preparation for the drowning of Anabaptists. And if you haven't come across them, I mean, I'm sure most of you might have done, they were a group of Christians who, who believed in, in believers' baptism and uh, as such were often drowned for their beliefs because other Christians saw it as, uh, as questioning them and their authority. How did we get to that point where Christians have been killing fellow Christians? But well, one passage that was used by those who killed the Anabaptists was uh, from the book of Deuteronomy where it says, uh, chapter 13, if anyone entices you, if, even if it is your brother, your own son or daughter, or the wife you embrace, saying, let's go and worship other gods, show them no pity or compassion, and do not shield them, but you shall surely kill them. Your own hand shall be first against them to execute them, and afterwards the hand of all the people. You shall kill all of the town's inhabitants, utterly destroying it and everything in it, even putting its livestock to the sword. Words from Deuteronomy chapter 13. Words which I don't know about you, but send a shiver down my spine. And even at times when we want everyone to think 
and believe like I do, because after all, I'm right, if we're tempted to think that that thinking is, um, is the way to go, perhaps we should remember that that passage would uh, be aimed at us, for those who declare that Jesus is God. For us saying we should worship Jesus, that passage would be aimed at us, which I think is sobering stuff. Well, long before uh, Christians came to the Trinitarian view, came to the belief of there being one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, Israel and other nations largely viewed God as being singular, isolated, and self-contained. You might not see it in that image, but there it's a a depiction of the, the way that in ancient Israel they, they viewed God as being kind of in the heavens, above the earth, separate. God was in heaven and people were on the earth with God's supposed representatives, the king, the chief priest, those who like their titles said at the beginning of events, they bridged the gap between heaven and earth. And this prescribed set of beliefs established a, a hierarchy a system where power came from the top and trickled down, where everyone knew their place, where there was to be one God, one king, one way of thinking. There was no room for differences in nationality or ethnicity or ability, no place for differing beliefs or ideas, because that diversity could endanger the whole system. And the goal of uh, the original kingdom the kingdom of which the secular powers took over, was to spread throughout the earth, making every person and place the same, making it look like them. But then the radical view that God was Trinity came along. It didn't come out of nowhere, for Christians uh, have been wrestling with the idea of God as spirit for many years, and the idea of Jesus as God for centuries. And then over time, bit by bit, the idea that God was Trinity, started gaining traction. Instead of viewing God as an isolated monarch up in heaven, God was started to be seen as Father, Son, and Spirit. Perhaps, Jesus' disciples whispered, at God's very being, there is this community of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. Perhaps diversity is celebrated and the other is welcomed, even within the Godhead. And whether we picture the Trinity as three equals blessing one another, as here in um, Rublev's famous icon, or even as a vivacious mother and a Middle Eastern man and an Asian woman, as you may have seen described in the book and the film, The Shack, the idea that God might be three in one, that love is at the centre of God's core, that this began to shake the world's very foundations. For if we stopped trying to make God in our own image, if we stopped sometimes subconsciously trying to project onto God our own ego, maybe, just maybe, the whole world could be turned upside down with radical, reckless love of God. So perhaps then our belief in the Holy Trinity might remind us that we should never assume that we know all there is to possibly know about God, that we can say how God thinks and acts, because those who do so are the ones who blow up buildings today, and who 2,000 years ago nailed God to a cross. The people who are open to fresh revelations and new insights, who believe that God is still speaking to us today through the Spirit, are the ones who have seen God in a baby in a manger, and a risen friend on the shore, 
and who continue to see God in the most surprising of people and places today. This is the great truth of the incarnation, that God in Jesus challenged the previous system and said that there is always more to discover with God, that our journey with God is an adventure with which God walks beside us, sometimes even carrying us. In first century Israel, you weren't able to get close to God if you were female or disabled or religiously uh, or ethnically other or born to the wrong family or even if you had the wrong job. There's an image there of the Jerusalem temple and the outer layers are the ones that that some of us could have got to but others of us being female or religious or ethnically other, being of a different nationality, we couldn't have got close to God. Of course, you could buy your way a little bit nearer if you bought the right sacrifices, if you uh, bought the right things at the temple to cover your blemishes. But the closest relationship with God at the time was reserved for the holiest, most able, ethnically and religiously pure man one day a year when the chief priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies in the temple. It was a system in which everyone knew their place knew how close they could get to God. And then one ominous day, a preacher from Nazareth comes along and says, I think it's about time we talk to and welcome women. Shock from the authorities and from his own band of followers. Oh, and he continued, maybe don't keep the little children away. In fact, why don't you listen and learn from them? And while we're at it, Let the lepers come close, the foreigners be welcomed, let's eat and drink with those considered unclean, let's dare to believe that God's love ignores human-made borders, that the poor are blessed, that corruption will end. And speaking of which, he said, this temple system of yours will also fall, for God's presence will be seen in taverns and in roadsides, God's spirit will be upon young and old, the slave and free, men and women. For God is not a God who crops people out, but who welcomes people in. That God loves creation and humankind not by separating himself from us, but uniting with us in the person of Christ. We know that for saying all of this, he was hanged on a cross. But we also know that the story didn't end there that they couldn't try to edit out the next scene, for it spoke of life-changing hope and of world-shaking resurrection in this world and the next. So what impact does our understanding of the Holy Trinity have on our view of ourselves and on how we treat others in the church today? Well, I believe that just as God is one and is diverse in the Trinity, so we must be one and diverse as a global church. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the many members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it no less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less a part. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? 
If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. For God has so arranged the body that there be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. That's what Paul says about the church, that the members may have the same care for one another. It's a familiar passage, isn't it? One that we've probably all heard many times before. And today, of course, we know in even greater detail how just amazing the human body is. We are fearfully and wonderfully made with 206 bones, 639 muscles, about six pounds of skin and ligaments and cartilage and veins and blood and fat and the rest. Our bodies are made up of a huge number of parts, all of which play important functions for the health of the whole. And Paul says that the church is the same. And sometimes it can be easy to forget this, I think. Sometimes all of us, even those with, with supposed church titles, can think, what good can I do? How important am I really in the grand scheme of things? And the answer that Paul says there is really incredibly important. I'm the one at the front at the moment banging on, but if you gave me a guitar, I would have no idea where to begin. And others of us offer prayer ministry or oversee the building or are at the back there making sure I don't mess up too much with the technology. And goodness knows, I wish I had a Tony and that whole system in our church. Others will welcome, many welcome me today. Others will count the offering. You know, in short, every single one of us plays a crucial part in the worship just this evening, but in the church as a whole. Some of our roles will be showy or more obvious. Some of us might wear bright shirts and like to be at the front, but many will be behind the scenes. They might not be glamorous, and they might even seem lesser, but Paul reminds us that they are not. He reminds us that everyone, every single one of us here, has an important part to play in God's kingdom. Every single one of us here called to be a witness to God's love, to be salt and light in this broken world. So whether we're front of house or in the background, whether we're loud or quiet, a thinker or a doer, whoever we are and whatever our story, here in Christ's body, we are welcomed and loved and valued and important and recognised as a beloved child of God. Loved and valued and welcomed, important and recognised as beloved children of God. Maybe we should start each day by looking in the mirror and going, you are a welcomed and loved and fearfully and wonderfully made child of God. Because I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror first thing, I don't always feel fearfully and wonderfully made. I think also, if this is true for the local church, that every member has a part to play, it could also be true for the whole universal church. You see, sometimes I think we can all be tempted to think that the rest of God's church should be just like us. I know I can. Sometimes I might catch myself judging other Christians or finding uh, myself thinking that the church, any Christian even who believes differently or worships differently or acts differently, is at best hindering the gospel or at worst heretical. Yet in our passage from 
the first letter to the Corinthians there, Paul tells us otherwise. If the whole body acted like an eye, how would we hear? If the whole body acted like an ear, how would we smell? God has so arranged the body that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Perhaps as we think about the unity and diversity of the Holy Trinity, we might also seek to celebrate the unity and diversity of God's church. We might seek to recognise the gifts that the various parts of Christ's body offers. For the charismatics who spread joy in the spirit and contemplatives who remind us that we can meet with God in silence. For traditionalists who remind us of the journey that we've been on and the pioneers who challenge our complacency. For cathedrals and tin huts, the high church and low, Pentecostals and progressives, may we give thanks for all the different parts of Christ's body and celebrate our diversity as we remember that what links us, what brings us together, is far more important than how we differ in other ways. So may we pray for one another, love one another, suffer and rejoice with one another, remembering that we are branches of the one true vine, that we are all followers of the God who is a community of love and who prays and calls us to love one another. As we prayed before the service this morning, we gave God thanks. In Pontypridd, at the moment, it seems that the Spirit is working, that churches are coming together, that they're learning from one another, that they're worshipping together, that the, the days when we were building up our own little kingdoms have gone. Thank goodness. So today, as we continue to praise the Trinity and fulfil Christ's prayer that we be one, let's give thanks for the gifts and treasures that might be found in every part of the church's body. Let's rejoice that we are all God's children with a part to play and a light to shine. And let's journey onward together as one body with diverse parts, living out the good news of the God who became one of us, who lived, died and rose again to show us that we are eternally and extravagantly loved. To God be the glory this night and always. Amen.